0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective 2020 on Vision Not everyone in Christian ministry and mission lives their lives in the spotlight. Well, so often there are wonderful, quiet achievers who are at the helm of some significant mission projects around the world. One mission outfit that's been founded well over 30 years ago, serving people in the African nations of Kenya, Uganda and Rwanda, and also in the nation of Indonesia, is Genesis Aid. It was founded by Pastor Ray Jenner and his wife Cheryl, with a focus on widows and orphans. Well, Ray has since passed away and Cheryl has remarried. But she's continued tirelessly serving and supporting 7,500 orphans, widows, street children, teachers and pastors in Africa through child sponsorship and development work. The Australian base of the ministry is in Perth. And Cheryl Compagnone leads Genesis Aid and she's joining us. Cheryl, welcome along to 2020.
1: Thank you, Neil, and I'm sorry my surname is so hard to pronounce since I married an, an Italian man.
0: <laughs> well, congratulations on your remarriage, might I say, Cheryl? Thank hey, you. what is it like for orphans and widows on the streets of these nations you're working in? These African nations?
1: Mm, it's horrible. It is the worst that you can possibly imagine. In uh, Kenya and Uganda, if a child is not able to buy a school uniform they are not able to attend school and so they spend their days just sitting in the dirt and helping their parents dig to get enough food to eat so it is a a horrible existence and my eyes were opened when I first went there in 1986 and saw the plight of so many
0: You've been doing this a long time now, and wow, when you lose a husband and remarry and you continue on the work. Take us back, Cheryl, 30-odd years ago when you were working there because when you arrived in Africa in the nation of Kenya, you were working with the Maasai people. What was that like?
1: That's right, yes. Well, um, originally we had a counselling and training service here in Western Australia. The the full name is Genesis Counselling and Training Service Incorporated. And we had a Maasai pastor stay with us, um, invited by a church to come and do some teaching. And he then asked us if we could take some of our training methods back to his Maasai tribe, where the young men were being very rebellious and not listening to their parents. So we said, this is universal. It's not just among the Maasai people. And he said, will you come? And we said, yes, we will come. So in 1986 we boarded our planes not knowing what was ahead and we landed in Nairobi met by Pastor Daniel and then he immediately took us to the Maasai tribe in his area.
0: So the ministry was a counseling ministry. Mm. How does that connect yes, with the, your Christianity and the gospel okay. and you know sometimes we think of missionaries as people who go to plant churches but that's that wasn't the foundation.
1: Okay, the foundation was that at 29 years I was um, on my deathbed um, and didn't know the Lord and um, reached out to him and in his mercy he reached down and I was saved. But my husband was not a Christian and he was a a counsellor. And so as a counsellor we, um, we would see people uh, who had problems in life And he very quickly decided, after I had become a Christian, that we should have our own counselling service. And so within three years, he had become a Christian and we started Genesis Counselling and Training Service. Very quickly, we started getting invitations from overseas for people who wanted to be trained as Christian counsellors. And so that was how the overseas work really originally began. Uh, Back in, yeah, it's a big story, sorry. Um, And uh, it was very exciting. Our first um, training was through Singapore and Malaysia and then extended. We've been most places in the world, right across America, into Europe. And finally, we were then invited to um, Africa. And so that was how we ended up in a Maasai tribe in Africa.
0: And the sorts of things you'd be counselling, somewhat different, no doubt, to what are the first world problems that we're facing here in Australia, to uh, being all of a sudden uh, transplanted into, say, the African nation of Kenya and the ravages of war and AIDS and and the the challenges there, very, very different to what you'd have been used to back home.
1: Yes, and. The questions that we were asked, we'd never even had to think through. For instance, I'll give you one. Um, We were teaching basic Christian counselling methods in a church and one of the elders of the church stood in question time and said, "Um, I have a question for you. There is a man I know who has two wives. He uh, took the two wives before he became a Christian now, the three of them are Christians. The first wife can't have any children. The second wife has begun having children. Does he send the second wife away? What does he do? And I was quite staggered, and I, I thought, I have to seek the Lord on this. So I said, after tomorrow's teaching, we will discuss this. Anyway, it turned out that uh, the man he was talking about was himself, and he was an elder of a church church. In that Maasai area and uh, so that led us on a completely different journey where we had to really look at culture and the effects of culture uh, as Christians what do we do when we're faced with those sort of problems so it was a very interesting few years as we learned more and more about the Maasai tribe and then were finally made um, elders of the Maasai tribe in that area of um, Kenya
0: is it the case, Cheryl, when you serve in the way that you were and you're faced with a completely different cultural mm. lifestyle <laughs> that you've got to come to grips really quickly with how you apply a biblical principle to the way you're counselling people? And uh, no yes, doubt there's absolutely. all sorts of ways that you've got to rely on God, yeah. rely on oh, really, the basics of yeah. His Word, because uh, some of those circumstances don't fit so easily, do they?
1: They fit very Uh, very narrowly into our Western Christian thinking. So, yeah, it was a very interesting time, a wonderful time, a very interesting time. I still remember when we used to go to the more remote areas and one day we um, were going up this little dirt hill and we got to the top and there were three um, Maasai ladies standing there with their children and the children had never seen white people before. Well, we got out of this little vehicle... And the children absolutely screamed and didn't know what to do and were trying to hide under their mother's chukas, the little wraps that they have. It was uh, it was terrifying for them. And we we don't realise those things. Even today when I'm on a bus in Africa, because I always use public transport, um, I sometimes think, oh, you people are so rude. You're staring at me. And, of course, I'm the only white on the bus, but I forget that when I'm there. So, yeah. Interesting. And
0: come back to those widows and orphans, because yes. here in Australia, we're so used to having a welfare safety net. Even our poor aren't poor like people who are, say, on the streets of Nairobi or in the, those tribal communities uh, like in Kenya. What mm-hmm. happens to children? What happens to widows when they have oh. no support?
1: Well, take Uganda, for instance. The average life expectancy for a woman today is 43 years and for a man, 41 years. So they have lots and lots of children in the hope that their children are going to care for them into their old age. Uh, that's not quite happening uh, as they would want it to. But um, if you are not able to dig so you can grow a few grains to survive, then you simply die. There is no, no support whatsoever from the government. Um, the government expect everybody to look after themselves, and that's literally impossible in, a, in countries where the unemployment rate is so high. There are no jobs for the children to get, even, even if they do qualify in some sort of um, profession. There are hardly any jobs for them, so and lots and lots of corruption. You often have to pay up to a year's salary um, to get a job. So the person that's employing you would expect a kickback in order to employ you.
0: So you're there, and you have a choice you could walk away, you could get back on the plane and you could come back to Australia or you could stay and do something. When you turned up there first was it just a visit to test the waters? What is it that kept you there?
1: It wasn't even to test the waters. It was to go in and teach Christian counselling. That was our sole purpose and um, the African people just to me and when I saw men and women in doorways just drooling and obviously unable to walk and they were just so, so skinny and children just playing in the dirt and not going to school and I came back and I thought, what's wrong with these people? I asked them there, why are these people all so sick? Oh, we don't know, that's slim. And so I came back and contacted the World Health Organisation and told them about this thing that I was seeing as I was traveling throughout Africa called slim and slowly the information started coming out about AIDS it was actually the beginning of AIDS so I've been there right from the beginning before they even knew they had AIDS.
0: Wow Cheryl there's so much in your story and I do want to get to You're losing your first husband and, of course, you've remarried and you've stayed at the helm of what has continued to grow in the wonderful ministry that you've been a part of with Genesis Aid. Cheryl Compagnone is our guest. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. Taking an opportunity to hear one of those stories of what we might call a quiet achiever in a Christian mission organisation called Genesis Aid. Cheryl Compagnone is our guest, and we're talking through Cheryl's story as she arrived on the shores of Africa, intending to be involved in counselling, when she discovered that there was so much dramatic misery in the communities of those areas that she was working, that she needed to do something. AIDS was taking a hold in Africa, people were dying, orphans and widows were left to die in the streets. When we talk about healing, Cheryl, you went through your own challenging health issues. And take us back to those years when you were really feeling like you were on your deathbed.
1: Well, that was what the specialist told me. I had two years to live. So in 19, let me think, I'm 70 years old now. So I was 29 at the time, and um, I found the Lord on the brink of suicide. I had really decided I just had had enough of this life, and I couldn't take any more. I didn't know any Christians, but I had been to Sunday school for a very short time, and so as I reached down to take the tablets that I'd gathered, a a lot of tablets, um, I heard a voice in my head and it called me by name and it said Cheryl if you just ask god will come into your life so my conversion was very different to anyone else i know but at that very moment i gave my life to god and i was as green as grass i knew nothing i knew i didn't know any churches i didn't know any christians but god had his hand on me
0: We often don't know why we go through these sorts of crises in our lives. But having gone through that experience, having had a true conversion, having this encounter with God, what difference does that make, Cheryl, when you find yourself... In Africa and there are people who are dying and they're finding themselves in all sorts of health crises as well that you've gone through that what sort of yes. way does that can contribute it, well, to the it, ability it, to encourage
1: absolutely um, it gives them hope because they can see that this woman was sick the doctors told her she only had two years to live and yet now she's very much alive and, you know, we're talking all those years later. So that's why I carry a little pamphlet with me when I travel around and it's got my um, healing story on it. And uh, I hope I'm able to give hope to those that I meet. So if I'm in a, a little bus, I'll quite often speak fairly loudly and say, would anyone here be Christian? And many of them will say yes. And I'll, you have to ask a secondary question. Are any of you born again? Now, a Christian is somebody who acknowledges God in Africa, not necessarily somebody who's born again. So the secondary question is very important. And after I've asked that, all sorts of questions will come. And this will be in a little bus of maybe 12 or 15 people as we're travelling along. And so I've had many opportunities to witness as I've travelled and um, to give hope to those who feel hopeless.
0: Now you and your husband you were working hard and building this mission ministry base uh, counseling people talking about Christian counseling helping orphans and widows and then take us to what has happened to your husband because he eventually lost his life
1: yes he did um, he became quite ill um, about 20 years ago now and um, I I noticed, what others weren't noticing. And this happens with dementia. Um, Those closest can identify problems before the medicos do. And so I started researching the symptoms that I was seeing in him. And um, I actually diagnosed him before the hospital did. So I took him to see the specialist this day, and the the specialist said... um, what he believed the dementia was. And I said, well, I've been doing some research and I believe it's Lewy body dementia. And he said, and in your unqualified opinion, why would you say that? So I told him about the symptoms that I'd noticed and I asked for a particular brain scan that you need with Lewy body dementia, which they are able to do in Royal Perth Hospital. At first, he disagreed and said, no, I think it's completely unnecessary because he's obviously got Alzheimer's, to which my husband said, I haven't got Alzheimer's. I've got what my wife says I've got. (laughs) So we took him off and he had the scan. And yes, even that very day, they said, yes, the white platelets are there. You're quite right. He's got Lewy body dementia, which is normally a seven-year span. And um, he died within a couple of years of us finding out what it was because by then it was too late to treat.
0: Were you back home at that stage or were you still working in Africa? You were back home. No,
1: No, we were here. We've always done short-term trips. So I spend up to three months in Africa each year and a month in Indonesia. So I'm usually away about four months. And um, at that stage, he was becoming ill. So travel was... uh, not as frequent as it had been. In fact, I, I had to leave him in in respite a couple of times just to get back to do a few urgent things when um, communication wasn't as good as it is now and we didn't have internet to, to help us with banking and things like that. So um, he died about um, 15, 16 years ago now. Gerald, you could
0: have given up and stayed home Uh, you decided opposite to that though and you kept at the helm was that because there was no one else to take over or you just felt you had to be there or you didn't feel daunted by the fact that you couldn't pursue this uh, that you had started with your husband what was the motivation for continuing to build the mission work that you'd begun to build together
1: well the thought never crossed my mind that it would finish or cease or we would never support it again it just never crossed my mind and in fact at the funeral somebody said what a shame this great ministry will now cease and I was quite shocked that people would even think that Um, I've got a great board a board of 10 and um, I said to them there's no question I will continue to work and they were very keen for me to do that so it just continued and in fact it's flourished and it's very many times bigger now than it was when Ray died 16 years ago.
0: Cheryl, when you'd gone through so much, you find yourself still at the helm. You know you're not closing everything down going home. You eventually remarried. How did that happen? And, and was that, in fact, a boost to what had already begun with your first husband?
1: Well, I was never intending to remarry. There was just no way. I had too much work to do in Africa. There was too much development that I wanted to see happen in my lifetime. And a friend uh, was talking to a friend of mine, was talking to a friend of Joe's, and mentioned us to each other. And they said, Oh, maybe we could get them together. And um, so I received. I'm just wondering, what was it, a text message first? No, it wasn't because he didn't have my phone number. It was an email. I received an email from a gentleman who turned out to be my husband now and said that he had heard about um, my life and uh, if, if I would like to meet with him, he was a Christian and uh, he would like to know more. And so um, it took a little while for me to even be keen on the idea. But I did meet with him, and as I stood there meeting him for the very first time, in my head, a voice again, just like the time I was healed, he is the one. And I I thought, he is the one? What? What does this mean? And then over the... We didn't meet very often, I think four times before we got married, um, and he proposed a few months later, and we were married 13 years ago.
0: Sounds like a whirlwind romance made in heaven.
1: It yeah, yeah, well, it must have been because he is the one.
0: Okay, and of course, uh, you started in Kenya, you expanded yeah. into Uganda, you've got ministry operations happening in Rwanda, and uh, then all of a sudden, as I said in the introduction, you've also got work in the nation of Indonesia. Indonesia. Now, Indonesia yeah. is not near Africa, so how does that all fit in?
1: Um, Yes, I had an invitation to go to um, Kalimantan about mm, probably 20 years ago now, and um, another God appointment was set up for me unknowingly, and uh, when I was in the airport waiting to leave on my plane, there was a... a ...tiny little Indonesian man came up to me and said, "'Excuse me, do you speak English?' And he said it in perfect English, and I said, "'Well, yes, I do.' He said, "'Do you mind if I sit with you um, and practice my English?' And I said, "'No, that's fine.' And that turned out to be Pastor Max, who had been running a struggling Bible school for a number of years and had a passion for the River Dayak people in Kalimantan. So he was offering free tuition at his Bible school... Um, But at graduation, each graduand was then given a church, had to go out into the River Dayak people and build a church, physically build a church, and then pastor it. And uh, he was really struggling financially and and, uh, stretched physically. And uh, Pastor Max died in 2007. So that work has continued as well by his son-in-law.
0: And of course if we're talking overall when I said in the introduction 7,500 orphans and Mm -hmm. of course you're supporting teachers and pastors and not only that but building schools, building medical clinics and there's so many more than we can even talk about but what comes to mind as some of the highlights if we're talking about some of the things that have developed and projects that you've been able to really take a hold of over these recent years?
1: Mm, Yes. Um, My pet project, if I could call it that, is one in Uganda. Um, I started it 20 years ago with a wonderful Christian man called Henry. And uh, we've built nine schools together. We've educated 5,000 children together. Um, Our partnership is one of mother and son, he's 20 years younger than me, and we have some wonderful, wonderful testimonies of students that were sponsored in those very early days and have gone on. One, Dr Patrick, um, he has gone through our sponsorship, then he got um, into medical school um, and he went through that, and he's now the chief entomologist for Western Uganda and one of our board members in Uganda.
0: Wonderful success stories there from children who were sponsored by this child sponsorship. And sometimes yes. we think of the big uh, Christian mission organisations and and they're often talking about child sponsorship. But you've been growing and developing with child sponsorship. How does the child sponsorship work for you, Cheryl?
1: Um, it's a very simple program, but it works. Um, when we first came across Patrick, Henry was one of his teachers and he was in lower secondary school um, at a school that we were sponsoring. So we took Patrick um, for sponsorship, just $10 a month, uh, which was enough for his school fees and a uniform. So $120 a year is what it costs if funds are managed correctly. Now, we don't pay any salaries. I've never received a salary from Genesis. I've never received any expenses from Genesis. I pay my own fares um, and if any of our board members join me, they also pay their own fares. So every dollar that's given really is very, very effective. We don't have overheads. Our office is in my home. So um, the, the money that comes in is immediately invested and the interest that we receive from those investments is what pays our overheads for stationery and stamps, things like that, and then the rest of it just comes from private donations so we're actually able to give more than we receive which is a wonderful testimony after all these years.
0: It is absolutely amazing and Cheryl I want to be able to point our listeners to the good work that you do and when listeners go to genesisaid.com i will be able yes. to see those projects that you've been working on in these different nations that have been building uh, over these many years. And you did mention that the full name is Genesis Counselling and Training Service, Inc. And so yes. listeners will be able to find detail there about com. And yes. is there a link there for listeners today to participate in child sponsorship for these projects you work in?
1: Well, there's a an email address. And uh, if they send me an email, I'll get back to them very quickly. I'm unable to travel at the moment, so I'm home-based. And um, my admin has never been so up-to-date as it is now because of COVID. So, yes, I'm, I'm very happy to contact um, anyone who wants to know more.
0: What a privilege it is to be able to find out this sort of detail, to hear this story, Cheryl Compagnone, who leads Genesis Aid, That website, genesisaid.com. Cheryl, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, for sharing your journey with us today on 2020.
1: Thank you, Neil. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.